Amen. You can be seated if you're in the room, if you're at home. Really glad you are joining with us online. Uh, if you're a guest of ours, either here or watching on YouTube. Uh, my name is Mitch. I have the joy of being one of the pastors and elders here at Redeemer City Church. And it really is a joy, a privilege to gather and worship with you. And whether, no matter where you are, you know, we, we have in this pandemic been reminded of the things that really matter, haven't we? Been reminded as we have the freedom to assemble, freedom of religion, freedom to protest, freedom to do all the things that we enjoy in this country. And so we really are grateful um, for that. I want to pick up where uh, Carl left us last week and begin. I'm going to audible on my tech team. Not too bad. So if you're at the computer, don't, it's, it's not too terrible. But if you're at home, go to Matthew chapter 6. If you're in the room, you can meet me in Matthew chapter 6 as well. And uh, I want to start where we did last week and just reciting the Lord's Prayer together. And so It'll be on the screens for you if you uh, aren't using the same version that I am. I'm in the ESV today. And uh, if you want to follow on your phone or on online at home or in the room. And uh, I just want to read, cite, memorize. If you can memorize it, you can say it out loud with us. But I want to just center our time again around the Lord's Prayer. There's Again, there's just so much in the Sermon on the Mount that literally every week we could go back and do over and over again, the same text, but the Lord gives us a blueprint for praying. What I want to walk through today is why you ought to pray. What does the gospel, what does Jesus say about your prayer life? I want to think about that, but to kind of center us in that moment, and even if you're at home, Good thing to lead your kids through um, or to just do on your own in the privacy of your home to just read this together with us. And so if you're in the room, I ask you to join me starting in verse five. and It will be on the screen for you. So Matthew chapter six, verse five. Nope, I'm wrong. Drop down to verse nine. <laughs> Looking at the wrong thing. Verse nine. Jesus said, pray then like this, and then those familiar words, if you'll read them with me, say this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then that's where he ends there. But the rest of it you know, right? Thine is the kingdom, power, forever. Why did Jesus tell us to pray then like this? I think it goes back to the end of chapter 5. The end of chapter 5 says this, and it'll be on the screen for you if you're watching online, just click those notes and you can you can get to it. But in Matthew chapter five, verse 48, Jesus makes a powerful statement. We've already done a whole sermon on the statement, so I'm not going to do that. You can go back 
and watch the service on YouTube if you want to do that. But he says this, you, therefore, must be what if you're in the room? Say it. Perfect. And we said a couple weeks ago, like, how's that going? Right? It's not. <laughs> because really in our English language, we, we don't get the full and complete definition of that word that Jesus used. What Jesus was talking about when he said, you must be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect is complete, whole. Scripture says elsewhere, lacking nothing. Shalom. Talk about it every week. The peace of God. And if there was ever a moment in my lifetime, probably since 9-11, maybe the anthrax scare. And for others, personal things you've gone through. But as we look around our world, we need the peace of God, don't we? We've always needed it, but there are certain things that magnify where we're at, that just put a spotlight on our sinfulness as a human people. I don't know about you, but much of my life has not felt perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Maybe you're in the same place as I am. And often it's because we, we lack the understanding as followers of Jesus and certainly as a culture at large of what full peace actually looks like and where it comes from. And it's actually in the more difficult news, the bad news of you must be perfect as God is perfect that we begin to get the proper understanding of how we get to shalom, how we get to peace. To be complete in this life, you must have a right view of yourself. You must have a right view of the world. You must have a right view of God. And of his word and of his law and of his grace. Without that full picture coming together in Christ through the church, we don't have that. We can't have that. We cannot have true and lasting peace that passes all understanding apart from Christ. Can't have it. And the full picture of Christ. And so I want to land in that place with you. But as we think about that, I want to lay some groundwork before we look at why Jesus asked us to pray that. In 1577, a bunch of Lutherans got together because they were looking at this idea of the law of God and just wrestling with why would God tell me to be perfect when he knows that I can't be perfect? And as they were unpacking the scriptures, we go back to places like the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying this summer. And Jesus saying, unless your righteousness is 
greater than the Pharisees, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And anybody in that culture would have looked at that and been like, we are all in trouble. We are all in trouble. Because nobody tries harder or does more to adhere to God's law than the Pharisees. They were the ideal of Christianity that you were trying to rise to. And that's not too disconnected from us, right? We've all felt the pull of when we read the scriptures or when we're around other Christians, that, that pull that, that I need to be better so that I look better, right? We, we've all felt that. If you've grown up in the church, you have certainly felt that. Just wrestling with the idea that I need to be better than I am. And I'm not. I've made progress over here and I've gotten worse over there. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Say it on your couch. You know it's true. It's true for all of us. And the reason is because of God's law. And law for us, at least in our culture, is a flawed and fallible thing, isn't it? We could take that rabbit trail for a long time, but I don't want to today. Well, another time. But you and I know that. And so, what does God's law do for us? It was Jesus' brother, James, who wrote one of the books in our New Testament, who actually said this about the law. He said that God's law is the perfect law of liberty. That speaks to us, doesn't it? Liberty and justice for all. Well, apparently, we have the perfect Law of liberty. But without that full definition of what God's law is, that doesn't feel like liberty, does it? That's why the Lutherans got together in 1577 and penned the formula of Concord. The formula of Concord, and in which they laid out three uses of God's law. And I think these will help shape our understanding of where we're moving into in Jesus telling us to pray in this certain way. And so if you're taking notes, there's no blanks. You can just write down whatever speaks to you from this. But this will help you, I think, as it has helped me. The Lutherans laid out in this formula of Concord in 1577 these three uses of the law. Number one, restraint. The first use of the law that all of us are familiar with is this civil idea of law as restraint. It's just simply maintaining the external discipline, the unruly behavior. We understand that, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We get that. It's in Scripture. It's in our laws and land. And we understand that. The civil use, the use of a restraint. If you do that, you're going to get this. So we get that. We understand that. That's where most of us stop. That's what most of our understanding of the law is in 21st century United States of America. But Scripture is beyond that. Scripture is more complete than that because the author of life authored the law. The second use is this, a mirror. You've heard me talk about that. A mirror. That God's law is the thing that is held up in front of you so that you can get a proper view of yourself. 
It's simply to lead people to a knowledge of their sin. That you and I would pick up this book and we would know right away, I don't live up to that standard. I am not perfect. And I'm not going to be perfect. And my righteousness will never exceed that of the Pharisees. To that, we would all say, yes and amen. Because it's not going to. Mine's not. We joke sometimes, I'm a professional Christian, and I can't get it right. And that's the point. That's the point. That's the second use of God's law, is that it would just be held up in front of you. You might see yourself and your sin. But then the third use of the law, and this is where I think a lot of us struggle as Christians, is, okay, if I've been set free by Christ, and there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, Romans chapter 8, if nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, not even myself, if that's my reality, then why is Romans 7 in the Bible? Why is that my reality, that I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do? For so many of us, maybe all of us, dare I say, that's life. I so badly want to live this, but I, I just, I've got this reality vertically in heaven, forever fixed, settled, salvation. I'm just living this different horizontal reality with you and with me and my kids and my wife and my friends and your employer and all the things. What this third use of the law is, it's simply a guide It's a guide. It's once you are made new in Christ, your flesh still is there. And you're at war against the powers that be. We have a guide. Holy Spirit, through the power of the word, guides us, corrects us, calls us back. As David wrote in the Psalms, it's a lamp to our feet, light to our path is our way forward in spite of ourselves. And God loves you in spite of you. That's the beauty of it, but we need that full picture of God's law to understand where we're headed in the gospel. You get that and you can use that to have shalom, perfection, peace. We need that full picture. But God has two words, doesn't he? There is the law. God's law is the law of liberty because it provides for you and for me a true picture of who we are. That's important. Aren't you glad this morning that with the Lord, it doesn't stop there? That it does not finish with your guilty And here's why. Let me hold it up in front of you. (laughs) For some of us, that was our church experience growing up. Watching online, you know what I'm talking about. You hear, that was our reality. But it's beautiful that it does not stop there. Because God has two words, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in Matthew chapter 5, 48, God reveals to us that need. So what does that do to your prayer life? Because a lot of times we go to the Lord's Prayer and the verses that follow it 
without ever thinking that through, that it's connected to the things that we studied in the past from the Sermon on the Mount. It was all one sermon Jesus gave. And so that view of God's law and the righteousness that comes only in Christ is to shape how we come to pray. Because here's the pattern. If I know myself, and if I know my need, I know your need, and I know their need, we all have the same need, I pray. Because I don't know if you've looked outside or on the news, there's a lot going on that maybe you feel like I do. We can't fix that. Like I see the problem, but how does little old Mitch get to the problem and solve it? It begins in this place of desperation. And it doesn't just apply to what we're going through as a country. It applies to your life. It applies to you reaching your neighbor. It applies to you serving the poor, drawing near to the broken, or anything that God calls you to, or raising children's. Come on, come on. Can I get an amen? Anybody who's raising kids, you know what desperation feels like. They don't do the thing I want them to do. They do do the thing I don't want them to do. We get that. But it's in that place of desperation that we what? That we pray. I know myself, when I know my need, when I know your need, when I know their need, I pray. I have to. It is all that I have. I love what Jesus says, starting in verse 5. He makes the same statement in verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. I'm going to read them in a second, but he says this, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, what is the assumption that Jesus is making for those who are in him, who are in the family of God, that will pray? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really hard for me to do the most easy thing that there is in Christianity. The whole lot of things we're supposed to do. Once we're rebirthed in Christ, but the first one is pray. Why is that sometimes the hardest thing to do is to do what God called the people in the Old Testament, his uh, children of Israel. If my people would just humble themselves and pray. Oh, there it is. isn't it? I got to humble myself. A lot of that stuff I just talked about that I have a need, that I'm a sinner, that I, this is all flies in the face of our flesh. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Nobody likes that. But Jesus says, when you pray, we got to pray. Church, we have to pray. We have to pray more than we ever have before. In your own life, for your friends, for your family, for your kids, for our nation, for our world. There's a magnifying glass on our sinfulness. We need help. That help is not going to come from within ourselves. 
otherworldly it must come. Well, so verse 5, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Prayer is not for Him, for us. I love verse 9. Okay, so we've gone verse 5, 6, and 7. When you pray, don't pray to be seen. Pray in secret. Don't pray impressive prayers. God already knows what you need. So what do I do? What does gospel prayer look like? What does me having a right view of myself shaped by the word of God do to my prayers? Jesus tells us what gospel prayer looks like. Look at verse 9. He says, pray then like this. This is what desperation looks like. This is what proper prayer looks like. He says, pray like this. Our Father, heaven. Hallowed be what? Your name. A lot of us are looking somebody to hallow our name. Just get real honest with each other. You have nothing to lose, right? <laughs> nothing to lose. A lot of times I want to be served. I don't want to serve. You ever feel like that? Maybe honest enough. Look at me in the eye right now. You can hide online, but I'm looking at you too. <laughs> looking at the coon kids. <laughs> yeah, that's our experience. Hallowed be your name, Jesus says. Look at this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We start by looking up. We love God first. Because that centers the rest of what we're. Because look at this, even when it moves to us. Notice what Jesus is telling you to pray for, telling you to ask for, because it's counterintuitive. We think one thing is going to solve our problems. We think one thing is going to help us feel satisfied. And Jesus is flipping that and saying, all of those things you think you want. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of flesh. Those things you think you want are not going to deliver on their promise. Sin never satisfies. Jesus says over here, on this side, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Daily dependent. How do you start your day? How do you end your day? Daily dependent. Give us our daily bread. And then what? Forgive us our debts. Yes. Give me. Look what it's attached to. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Those who have been forgiven much, forgive much. 
You have a real perspective on yourself and your unrighteousness. And you are all the more grateful for God's grace in your life. My dad used to say to me all growing up, he's watching, you dad, but for the grace of God. He would say that all the time, but for the grace of God. And our life wasn't perfect. I have a mom who's been in a wheelchair for over 30 years. She had a tumor go through her spinal cord when I was three. That was not awesome for a mom of a three and five-year-old. Not awesome. But for the grace of God, it would be a whole lot worse. And you have your own story with that. Forgive your debtors. Look at verse 13. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Gospel prayer. We need him. Did John the Baptist say, more of you, less of me. Gospel prayer changes the way we pray. It's all about looking and then inviting him. Transform us to be more like Jesus. But then look at where he lands after that. Beautiful outline for prayer. Looking up to Jesus, coming in and forming you to be more like Jesus. But here's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Verse 14 and 15. It says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That feels like we're back to the law, doesn't it? We are. That's because even after Jesus moves from the perfect into this beautiful thing of prayer that this Language between us and our God. It still comes back to this point. That if we cannot forgive. We don't really understand the gospel. We really can't pray. And have a conversation with the God of the universe. Who is perfect. And then who offered you the perfect sacrifice so that you might find new life, complete life in Christ, never to be separated from the love of God, cannot fully understand the price that was paid or forgiven. See, we throw that term around a lot. Our country, freedom isn't really free, is it? Somebody paid the price and if you're not a Christian today or if you thought you've been a Christian for a long time but as you're thinking through the full scope of God's law maybe you're watching online and you're just tuning in because you stumbled across it in some God forsaken way who knows but if you're within the sound of my voice if you've never heard this I just want to give you an opportunity to reject 
or accept the true gospel. Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there. And I want you to know that you are broken. I am broken. I am not the way that I'm supposed to be. There are you. You look out at our world right now and you see all of the trauma, all of the drama, all the issues that are going on that are so very real and need so much attention. I want you to know that the world is broken too. We're broken by sin. It's the source. It's the beginning point of all of our problems. The Bible tells us that there is a narrow way that leads to life, but there's that find it. I want to invite you to find it. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. You still need the gospel. Because there's areas in your life where you still don't believe that Jesus is enough for you. And you just need the Holy Spirit to massage the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he went to the cross and loved you and died for you in spite of you. That with no strings attached, one-way love, that he would love you first. That's yours in Christ. Owen. We're sinners. The good news today is that there's a God who sent his son. Son of God, Jesus Christ, some 2,000 years ago, who stepped out of heaven and put his feet on earth and clothed himself in flesh. He was fully God and fully man. He didn't grasp being God selfishly. He used it to go pay the price for you to have life, you to be made perfect, for you to be complete. And it's the only thing in this life that will actually satisfy those things that you're longing for. It's not that the other things are not important. They are. But everything flows out of that relationship with you. Just get burnt out without relationship with Christ. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. That paid the price for your sin to make you right before God because God was, is a holy God and he hates sin and he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, you and I were separated from him. But rather than leave us there, unlike every other religion in the world which tells you to do more and try harder, God looked at you, saw you in your desperation. Saw your need for a rescue. Sent Jesus. Own son. Rescue. And on that cross. A thousand years ago. Hailed to it. He was put up on public display. As his last breath left him. Arms wide. He said those gospel words that have changed so many of our lives it is our testimony it is finished he's done everything that you need to have peace in this life and the next so i want to invite you if you're watching online or if you're in the room to make a decision about that jesus Because it was three days after that that he rose from the dead.
It's historically recorded the walk amongst the thus securing victory, power, presence of sin. So let me ask you this question as we close. Are you bound today? Are you bound by something today? Does some form of sin have you in bondage to it? Maybe it's that you've never given your life to Christ. You've never listened to the presentation of the gospel and bowed your knee to Christ. I just would invite you to do that right now. There's no magic prayer. There's no special way. The Bible's very clear that it's just if you will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will confess with your mouth that he is Lord, believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. And then the Bible says you become a new creation in Christ, created for good works, which God has prepared for you. The beginning of a new journey. So if you make that decision, let me encourage you to connect with somebody. Somebody you know that invited you. You can click the links in the video information below on YouTube. You can scan that QR code if you're in the room. But don't leave today without being set free. Bible tells us that it's for freedom that Christ has set us to be yours today. I'm going to pray in just a second and we'll be done. But I also want to talk to the Christians and Christians watching online. We too have all of what God has to offer at our fingertips. And yet we so often forfeit the fullness of Christ, the complete joy that we have for counterfeit, for things that fall short of the glory of God. I would encourage you, if you're a Christian today, that you can lay down those sins. The Bible tells us that we can cast aside those things that so easily ensnare us or trap us, and that the mercies of God are new every morning. Because great is his faithfulness. So as I pray, if you don't know Christ, I encourage you to accept him in this moment. Quietness of your heart. Then tell somebody. If you are a Christian, as I pray, I encourage you to pray along with me in your own heart.